Let's all open our Bibles to the book of Colossians, and if you are a child in the room, um, you are dismissed to core kids. Uh, the teachers will meet you in the back, or actually by the front door to your back right now. And we are in the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 3 today. We're going to be ending chapter 3, entering into chapter 4. And also as our kids exit the sanctuary, um, if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure uh, to get you an outline. want to be sure that you have an outline so that way you are able to follow along um, in the in introduction of the sermon so you're able to take notes. And as always, you are able to utilize the notes that um, you're taking to hopefully not just grow in your faith, but to help somebody else grow in their faith as well. That's very important for us that we don't just keep it, but that we are sharing it with others. And so in your outline there, there is a memory verse. And so um, just as a show of hands, has anyone, has anyone memorized the memory verse? Y'all are doing a great job. I just want to let you know that. Doing good. Appreciate that. So um, I just want to encourage you one more time to memorize the verse, right? It's an important verse. We got like two more weeks in the book of Colossians. It is possible for you to memorize this verse. Um, I just want to say this before we read it, and I'm not going to um, stay on this for too long, but memorizing Scripture is very important to you renewing your mind. Are you here? And whenever you're going through a book of the Bible, it is always good to find at least one scripture reference in that particular book in the Bible. So that way, when you think of that book, you are also referencing that particular scripture because that scripture will kind of give you uh, just a reminder of what that book is really about. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, what's the book of Colossians about? You can say, well, if you go to chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, you'll know what it is there because it's about him being being the image of the invisible God, right? And so you can kind of explain it's about the preeminence of Christ, right? So that's helpful for that. So just know that I'm not just trying to embarrass you or anything like that, but I, I really want to encourage you to make it a discipline to memorize scripture, right? To memorize and meditate on these scriptures and hopefully they help you and that way you grow in your faith. So let's all say this scripture together. Say, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, polities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Good reading. And so if you would stand with me, we're going to read from the book of Colossians, our text for the day. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. When you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. <clears throat> and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ." But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Lord God, thank you so very, very much for your grace, for your love, for your wisdom. 
for your resurrection power that is the reason why we're here today. We humble our hearts before your word and we pray, God, that you would speak to us, that you would make your ways, your will known to us this morning and that we would not just hear and learn more, but that we would submit and obey more. God, glorify yourself in these next few moments that we have together. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so this morning we are continuing, as I said, in the book of Colossians, our It's All About Jesus series. And we're wrapping up. We're coming to the latter um, last three messages, um, including this week's sermon. And so we have two more weeks, and then we'll be done in the book of Colossians moving on. And so what we want to look at today is we're going to look at the specific dealing with the topic work ethic work ethic. And one thing that I think is important, and you see this in your outline, one of the greatest issues our culture is facing is a lack of ethics. Is that not true? It's something that our culture is facing. It's facing. It's something that we are dealing with, right? It's something that we can't deny, right? When you look at things like the Me Too movement, Church Too movement, things like that, you see ethical issues, right? You see situations where there has been some mishandling of authority, right? And so it's really, really important for us as the church to really consider this. And so when you look at the definition of the word ethics, this is what it says if you're not sure on what it means or why I say we we have this issue. It is moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. Moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. And so the reason why I do the things that I do or I do not do the things that I do are because of what? Moral principles. There are moral principles that should be governing my life. There are moral principles that should be governing my behavior my treatment, my dealings with people in business, in government, wherever, right? There should be moral principles that are governing what we do. In the church, there should be moral principles that govern what we do. In our families, there should be moral principles that govern what we do. And as we saw last week, we looked at Paul, and what he started to do was he started to deal with the home. And we talked about house rules last week, and we talked about the the husband's responsibility, the wife's responsibility, the children's responsibility, the father's responsibility specifically, and the parents' responsibility in general. And then you'll notice that in this particular portion of scripture, and just so that way you know this, I know you're, I know you're smart, but just for someone who may not know this, but when the Bible was written originally, it did not have chapters and verses. There were letters, right? There were scrolls that were written. And so this was added for reference, right? So when you look at that, sometimes the people who were adding references, they missed stuff. And for example, you'll notice that we read chapter 4, verse 1, and it would seem like, why would he have ended there? He should have gone and added another verse. He did not, you know, when they were doing that. And so it doesn't change anything. All it does, it makes us have to, you know, look at the scriptures in a little different light and realize, oh, well, this may go here. And so the reason why I say that is because you'll notice that what Paul does is he actually includes this admonition when he's, when he's dealing here, and he starts to talk about the fathers, you know, the, the wives, the husbands, the children, the fathers, and then he goes on to this topic of slaves and masters. And you'll wonder why those are in the same context, right? Like there's, they're, in the, they're under the same heading. And it was because in those times, right, there were servants that were in homes. That was normative within the culture. That, that, was, um, that was something that, that we saw normally. And so it would have been 
been something that dealt with how we work in the home together, right? And so we'll talk about that a little bit more. But what I want you to realize is that as believers, this is the last part of that sentence there, a paragraph in your outline. As believers, our lives must reflect biblical morality, and this must include our work ethic. This must include our work ethic, and, and, and I want us to realize this, and I want you to think about this. Our work ethic creates an opportunity or an obstacle to impacting our culture. I'll say that again. That's the big idea I have for you today. Our work ethic creates an opportunity or an obstacle to impacting our culture. And so I want you to realize this, that the way that you work the way that you operate your everyday, right, your 9 to 5, your 2 to 11, your 11 to 4, whatever it is that your work schedule is, the way that you operate there is either an opportunity for the gospel or it is an obstacle to the gospel. And, that's, and, and this, is, this is why this becomes so, so very important because people are always looking at us. People are looking at our lives. They're seeing how we act, how we live. And if you're in here and let's say you're a student and you're not working, you don't have a J-O-B, so you broke, hello. All right. So if you're a student, what I want you to know is that you have to demonstrate and you are actually developing a work ethic right now in school. Are you here? You're, you're, you're developing that work ethic now, the way that you pay attention in your classes, the way that you operate there, that is your work ethic, right, in one part. And so you're learning, you're developing, because when you get out of there, and let me just say this for those of you that are there in school, listen, cherish these days. Some parents said amen, right? Some adults that are no longer in school are like, I wish I could go back. I wish all I had to worry about was sitting through that class and doing that homework and, and taking that test. I wish that's all I had to worry about, and the refrigerator was all always full. Hello, somebody. Right? And, 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 and I, I, didn't know, I didn't even know what a mortgage was. I didn't know what rent was. I didn't know what insurance was. I didn't know what premiums were. I didn't know what co-pays were. I didn't know any of that stuff. See, some of you are like, I don't know none of that stuff. That's good. Stay there for now. Stay there for now. You know, always wishing. I can't wait till I'm 18. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. I can't wait too much. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Because when you're on your own, Mm-hmm. Anyway, so continuing on here, right? Our work ethic, it is either an obstacle or it is an opportunity for us to impact our culture. And so the first point I want to ask you to repeat after me is this, is say a biblical work ethic is to be focused upon pleasing God. A biblical work ethic is, this is the principle, this is the moral principle that we should have, is that we should be focused on pleasing God. So whether we are a student, whether we are a, uh, whether we're an employee or an employer, the first moral principle that should govern our hearts is that we desire to please God. The vision of our church is that we desire to please the Lord, right? In a few weeks, we're going to have our vision carry orientation the last Sunday of this month and when you go through there for those of you that haven't gone through it that are considering becoming members of this church we want you to go through that we want you to come and sit through core faith 101 we want you to learn what our vision is and what you're going to learn and so you get the first part for free right now is that our vision is to please the Lord the reason why we are here as a church is because um, uh, 16 years ago, I felt compelled to plant a church and to lead a church, and I wanted to do one thing, and I found it in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so a biblical work ethic is what? Is that we have a desire that we are focused on pleasing the Lord. It's not just about, and for us, it's not just about finishing an assignment. It's not just about turning in homework. It's not just 
just about us making sure that we did whatever we had to do within that nine to five or whatever it was, but it is about us pleasing the Lord. Everything that I'm doing is pleasing the Lord. And sometimes that means going above and beyond. Are you here? Sometimes that means doing more. And so let's just look at the verse here, verse 22. He says, bond servants. And, and this is a troubling statement for some, especially in the cultural climate that we live in today. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And I'm going to pause there for a moment because I want you to know that in today's culture, and, and the reason why this is troubling is because when you see the word bond servant that's in the New King James Version, that's not so offensive, right? But in some of your translations, it probably says slaves. And what I want you to realize is that in our culture, we condemn slavery, do we not? We know that like today, right now, right now today, we know that slavery is wrong, period, right? Like nobody should be a slave. Like we understand that. And yet, this is why there's a tension here. Because I want you to realize that you're reading a Bible that is not openly and admittedly condemning slavery. Instead, it's instructing slaves. Does that bother you? It probably does. Right? You're, and if it doesn't, now you're like, man, does it? I don't, that's weird. Like, like, you know, like you've never thought through that, right? Like the Bible speaks about slavery. And it's not like Paul. I don't, I don't know if any of you have seen uh, uh, this movie, The Birth of a Nation, right? Um, and don't watch it with your kids, right? You shouldn't do that. It's a, it's a rated R movie. Um, it's probably one of the most graphic movies I've ever seen. It's about Nate Turner, who was a slave, and he was a preacher. He was a slave, he was a slave who was a preacher. And I won't give you all the other things that, uh, of the movie. Um, there's one scene that they're, that they're there's a, a, a partial nudity, so I'm telling you right now, um, don't see it with your kids and just be prepared that it's going to happen. And it's in a marriage ceremony, so you can fast forward through that because I know you don't want to see that. Hello. Now, listen. The reason why I bring this up is because the one thing that I will say is that Nate Turner was taken around on a circuit, and what he was doing was he was brought to do this, and, and this is not giving anything away. This is in history. You can see that on the History Channel. You can go Google it. Don't do that right now, Okay. Not while I'm talking. Don't, don't check my facts. Just You can do this. But he was, he was taken. He was a circuit preacher, but he was a slave, and he was only allowed to preach to slaves. And, and what they did was they told him what he could preach. And so you know what he had to preach? He had to preach sermons from scriptures like this one. Or he had to go to 1 Peter. Let me tell you what 1 Peter says that's pretty rough. 1 Peter says the same thing except it adds this statement, even those who are harsh. Obey your masters even who are harsh. And so the problem with this is that when we see the text, here's, here's, where, here's where the tension comes in today. Here's what we got to understand when this was written. One-third of, of the Roman Empire were slaves when this was written. I want, I want you to notice another fact that a lot of people don't realize. The reason why the Bible didn't just come out openly and just overtly condemn slavery. First of all, whenever the Bible deals with this relationship of servant, because that's what it really was, whenever it deals with it, people who were servants in the Old Testament, you know what they were doing primarily? They were paying off debt. They were people who were broke, and God didn't have this, this idea that you were going to have someone who was serving you, and you were going to beat them, and you were going to malnourish them, and you were going to mistreat them. That wasn't in any way, shape, or form. And so when Paul is coming across, what he's saying is to the people who have been raised in this Roman Empire, and you don't know God's heart of between this relationship between a master and his servant, between one. You don't understand this. You've seen this harsh treatment of the Romans. Remember Jesus? He talks about the way that they lord their authority over others. You've seen this, and what Paul is saying, that's not the way this is supposed to be. 
There's supposed to be this relationship. You're supposed to understand that you as the master and you as the servant, guess what? You are both equal in God's eyes because there is no slave nor free. Are you here? And so when we see the text, we have to understand. We also have to understand something else. Christianity was not like it is today. It was not legal. Are you here? They didn't have voting like we have today. They couldn't vote about laws. They couldn't protest. Guess what? You protest, you know what happened? You got killed or thrown in prison. Are you here? I don't think you understand that. In those days, it wasn't like, hey, we're, gonna go, we're just going to do a rally, and we're going to walk around the castle, and we're going to tell the king, hey, we don't like the way you are. Guess what? You were going to be killed for that. You couldn't just do that. And so Paul wasn't going to go ahead and have these people go and try to create a revolution because here's what we have to get. And please, if you're taking notes, write this down. Mark this in your mind. Understand this because here's something that we have within our culture today. And I couldn't go past this point and just go gloss over this. But we have to realize that the primary purpose of the church is for us to be gospel witnesses. I want you to, and in our next series, I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the book of Acts. But what I want you to know is that in the book of Acts, the disciples, the apostles, they were willing to die for certain, but they were only willing to die for a specific thing. And that was the name of Jesus. And in context, Context, it was the proclamation of him being risen. Are you here? That is what the church's role is supposed to primarily be. It is for us to be proclaiming the gospel. And so we have some portions of the church, and I have friends that are here. Listen, I, I, sat, a, I, sat, I sat on a board, uh, uh, on a panel discussion a few weeks ago, and I'm friends with people that are, you know, dealing with social justice issues, and I believe that there should be justice. We live in a different culture. We live in a different day, and so we need to care about those that are hurting. We need to address those types of issues in our culture where Wherever there's injustice, we need to do that from a, from a right and rational way. But what I want you to know is that cannot be, hear me, that cannot be my primary objective. That cannot be the objective of the church. What is the objective of the church? The objective of the church is to make disciples. Is that not what Jesus said? Right? That's what I talk about every week, right? When, when we open up and I say, you know, get the outlines because what? We're supposed to be making disciples. So we're supposed to be helping people grow in their faith. And so that's what should be happening. We should be sharing the faith with people. They should be getting saved. And then as a result, let me read what I wrote because I think it'll come out better than me just trying to say it to you. But the effect should be lives changed in salvation. And then those people conforming to the character of Christ in sanctification. And then society impacted and the culture culture influenced by people who love Jesus, are following Jesus, are sharing Jesus, and realize that the ways of Jesus found in all of scriptures, not only in the red letters, are the best for our culture. I'm going to read that again. The effect of us making disciples is this, is that it should be lives changed in salvation. Those people who have been changed, conforming to the character of Christ in sanctification, and then society impacted, and the culture influenced by people who who love Jesus, are following Jesus, are sharing Jesus, and realize that the ways of Jesus found in all of Scripture, not only the red letters, are the best for the culture. 
What's supposed to happen is that progressively people should be getting saved and as a result, discipled. And as they are discipled, then guess what begins to happen? All of a sudden, they start to recognize they need to change their ways. They recognize they need to turn from sin. They recognize they shouldn't be the way that they've been. And then you know what ends up happening? Here's what ends up happening in a culture like ours. All of a sudden, people who are being changed by Jesus, they start voting in line with with Scripture. Are you here? They start voting for listen to this as we were praying this morning this was something that was on my heart as we we're praying this morning we stop allowing people to get into office that don't represent us are you here hello we stop allowing people to stand in front of us and lie to us and act like that's okay, right? We stop allowing that. We, we, we put our foot down and we get together as a church and we say, you know what? We want righteous leadership in this land. That is what we want. See, that's what we do as a culture. And this day, they couldn't do that. They didn't have voting rights. They didn't have the option to influence culture the way we did. The only option they had was to do what? Was to proclaim the gospel, make disciples, take care of their own. That is what they had the responsibility to do. And so for us, what do we do in our culture? See, here's what we do. We can't stray away from the mandates that we have in the scriptures. And so we see the effect there. And so here's what happens with us that we have to realize. Is that although the Bible does not overtly come out and condemn this, and you should read the book of Philemon, um, and he actually sent me a text. It was funny because all day while I was studying, every time that I, would, that I was reading a commentary about this particular text, Philemon kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up my conversation. And I was like, I'm, I'm not trying to go and tell everybody about everything of Philemon. And so I intentionally didn't go read the book of Philemon, right? I understood it. It's, you know, it's Paul is writing about Onesimus, who was a slave, who was in prison. And then all of a sudden he was going, he, he was going back to his, his, uh, his master, um, Philemon and Paul is like, hey man, you need to receive this one as a brother. He's like, you know, you need to release him. Don't treat him bad, so on and so forth. So he goes through all that. But here's what I want you to realize in all of that. So Harrison texts me and he's like, hey, why is this book Philemon even in the Bible? He's like, I don't even get it because it's like written from Paul to another guy. Like, why is it there? Why does why why is inspired scripture like that? Right? Like, so you're thinking you're like. Why is that? Uh-huh. So, so here's the thing. How did it make that? Well, it says there, he doesn't just write to Philemon, but he writes to the church that's there. And so there's instruction for the church again. And can I tell you that that is one of the books and that that's one of the principles that we find that caused us to do what? To abolish slavery in the United States of America. Are you here? It was scripture. And so it was the way that God had us to understand about the Imago Dei, the image of God that was upon all of us. And so here's why we have to look at the scripture. I have to say, wait a second, this is what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to deal with the relationship that there is. It is about relational reform. In this context, not just social reform, because you know what automatically happens? When I know how to become, when I know what God expects of me as a man, you know what I start doing? I start acting like a godly man, and guess what automatically happens? Society's transformed. Are you here? See, when our families start to know what God wants, then you know what happens? We start living the way that God wants us to live. One of the biggest things that has to happen is we who call ourselves believers, we need to take this book at its words. Are you here? And we need to say, I'm going to live these words. And when we start living these words, you know what we start to see? We start to see a society transform. We start to see a society change because of what? The power of the gospel. And so that is what we have to embrace. And so when we look at the scriptures, the closest application that we have, which is where we get the idea work ethic, is that of what? Is that of us and the employee-employer relationship. So that's the closest application that we can give to this 
particular text. And I want to say this as a, as a note as well. I think this is important, is that most slaves, if not, and it wasn't all of them, but most of them, they were actually paid for their services, whether it was that they were receiving wages to get, to get over their debt or that they were there and they were receiving wages as they lived. And so we understand that there was that. That's the reason why we can apply this to the employer-employee relationship. And so a work ethic that focuses on pleasing the Lord, I want you to look at a couple of things that this verse says. So moving beyond the first part of the verse, it says this. It says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And so he gives them some things. He says two things cannot mark your service. Two things cannot mark your work. If you are living from that biblical work ethic of seeking to please the Lord, then here's a couple of things that cannot mark your work ethic. Number one is eye pleasing cannot be, eye service cannot be marking your work ethic. In other words, what is eye service? Eye service is, you know what, when the boss walks in, that's when I start working. Right? The boss isn't there, right? I remember having a conversation with someone. They were talking about their work, you know, their, their work environment. And they're like, man, when the boss isn't there, nobody works. As soon as the boss walks in, everybody acts like they're busy, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, don't obey them with eye service. Don't just do when they're standing there, when they're looking at you, when they're in the building, when you're afraid. You know, like I remember one of my first jobs, you know, working at, you know, Burger King. And I remember there, I remember that um, there was, there's, there's like once a year, right, there, they have the supervisors that, you know, from the higher ups, they come down and they're checking you, right? They're doing quality control. They're, all of a sudden, we were cleaning out freezers. We were cleaning floors. I mean, it was like a whole re it was like a whole van, you know, revamping of the entire place. And I'm like, man, why are we cleaning like this all the time? If we would just clean more and like, not like I wanted to clean more, but I'm just saying, like we wouldn't have to spend a week preparing for this visit, right, for quality control if we were just doing what needed to happen. If we were doing the thing, if we were cleaning the way that we, all we'd have to do, hey, this is normal, right? But what happens is what? It's about eye service. It's about appearances, right? It's about check marks and stuff like that. And so we, now, now listen, you as a believer, with, even if you're sitting around people in an office that they don't work while the boss is gone, listen, you're going to have to be that one. You're going to have to be that one that says, look, I'm not here to please him or her or them, but I'm here to please the Lord. And so the first thing he says is that there should not be this I service there. And then he goes on to say, as men pleasers, again, you're seeking to do what? You're not seeking to please the Lord. You're seeking to please them. As long as they say you're doing good, you're doing good. I want you to know there's a higher standard than their standards. There's one who really knows your heart. There's one who really knows what's going on inside of you. And so as one that is working, you have to look at yourself from that perspective. But he says what? But our, our work ethic must be, our work must be marked by sincerity of heart. Again, it's not about when they're here. It's not about anything else. It is about what? It is about my heart before the Lord. I want to honor God with my heart. And then he goes on to say, and the fear of the Lord. Sincerity of heart and the fear of the Lord should mark the way that you work. And so my question as we come out of this point here is this is what marks your work right is it eye pleasing is it is it eye service is it man pleasing or is it something greater is it sincerity of heart how, how about this one what would people say about your work 
Because remember, the whole thing that I'm saying, I know you got lost in the whole slave breakdown that I just did there, but don't forget about that big idea that we have, right? Our work ethic is either an opportunity or an obstacle to what? To us impacting our culture. And so if people around you were to give you a grade, not, not, not when your supervisor's around, but just on the norm, if they were to look at your life, what would they say about your work? Is it about, about eye-pleasing, eye-service? Is it about man-pleasing, or is it in sincerity of heart? Is it in the fear of the Lord? How about this one? This will make it a little bit easier for us to really reconcile this. If we could play back a video of your workday, what would it reflect? So if we go ahead and we can do this, we can pop it up there. I'm going to show his work. I'm just kidding. I don't have his workday there, but... But if we could do that, right, if we could just go ahead and just throw the work day up there and then we would sit here and we'd be like, okay, so what is this work day? And we knew what you were supposed to be doing. We knew what all of your standards were for the day. If we knew all of that right there, what would we be, what would we say about that? Mm-hmm. Point number two, a biblical work ethic, say this with me, a biblical work ethic, work ethic is to be working for the one who rewards a biblical work ethic is to be working for the one who rewards. So look at verse 23. He says, and, and, and he says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. And so we see that he says, look, whatever you do, right, it should be what? It should be done focused on the one who is going to give you the award. And so, and, and I want you to think about this. We just talked about this in that first point, right? That was the longest point that I have there, right? We just talked about slaves are being encouraged, right? Bond servants are being encouraged to this kind of service, right? How much more should you and I, we have a choice where we work in most cases, right? We decide where we're going to be employed. We decide all of the, you know, we make those, you can quit if you want. I mean, I'm just saying like the choice is yours. Now, I'm not telling you to quit. Hello now, right? But what I am saying is, you know, you have a choice, right? I mean, unless you're like in the military and, you know, you owe them something. Like if you, if you, you know, if you go to school for the, and the military pays for you, guess what? You ain't got a choice in the matter. Hello? right? You sign up, you commit, you don't really have a choice in the matter. But all, outside of that, those types of scenarios, right, you have a choice. And even in that, you have a choice. You can go to the, you can go to the brig, I guess, right? You could, you could just be locked up because you decide you don't want to do it their way. I mean, that's your choice as well, right? I mean, you can work in the kitchen and in, 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 the, in the prison for the, anyway. But here's the thing, right? You, you, make, you make a choice, right? You have a choice, and so we, who have a choice in this matter, we should most certainly be doing everything that we do. And how do we measure that? We measure it by two things. Number one is we measure it by the condition of our heart, and we measure it by how is our heart focused. So when he says to do everything from the heart, what is he saying? He's saying that word literally means to do it from the soul. So to do it with all of your being, not half-heartedly, right? So, when, so, so you think about that. Are you doing it with all of your being? Where are your focus? Where is your focus at? Are you looking toward your present day rewards or are you looking toward future rewards and looking to the one that is the rewarder? See, that's the question. We have to ask ourselves, are we doing this and are we doing it the way that God calls us to do it? Are we doing it that way? Because if we're not, then we're going to lose focus. We're going to stop working for the glory and the honor of God. Because what happens, right, when I'm working for the wrong reward, what happens when I don't get the pay that I thought I was supposed to get? 
What happens when I don't get the bonus that I thought I was going to get? Or in school, what happens when I don't get the grade that I think that I earned? All of a sudden, you hate that teacher. All of a sudden, you can't stand that supervisor. All of a sudden, your, your work ethic changes, right? And, 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 and you begin because your heart is no longer in it the way that you are supposed to be in it. And so again, here's the question to close out that point there. Is your heart in all you do? Is your heart in everything that you do? At your work, is it there? Listen, I know that some of us have jobs, man, that we hate, and we have situations that we just cannot stand, but you know what? You've got to come back to the Lord. You've got to say, Lord, help me to have my heart in this because my heart is what you're looking at. You're not just looking at what I'm doing. You're looking at my heart. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, a biblical work ethic is to be Christ-centered and not self-centered. Now look, the, po the, the point that, that Paul makes in the, in the prior one is that you are going to be rewarded from the Lord. There's no partiality, good or bad, right? You're either going to receive for the good that you've done or you're going to receive from the bad that you've done. But then here, Paul switches it up. He's talking about the employee all the way up to here, right? He's talking about the bondservant here. But then in chapter 4, verse 1, this is what it says here, right? I put verse 26 because it should be verse 26. It's actually um, verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven and so the scripture transitions to the earthly masters note this masters are asked to treat their slaves with value this is revolutionary in that day as most slaves were seen as property not people and so when Paul says this, remember what he's doing. He's talking to people, the people of Colossae, that have been saved, that have been changed, that have been hearing all of this Gnostic teaching and all of this stuff that's been coming at them. And he's letting them know, listen, the way that you look at everyone, including those that you may feel are beneath you, you need to give them what they're worth. What is just and what is fair. In other words, you need to look at your position in their lives, not as one to push them down, but as one to lift them up. Are you here? You see, and so if the context earlier was the employee, then the context here is employer or supervisor or teacher or director or whatever it is that your leadership role is, manager, whatever it is, you need to think about this. How is it that you are serving? See, the question is, are, is your leadership of others Christ-centered or self-centered? As Paul is telling them here, your leadership needs to be Christ-centered. It needs to be about glorifying Jesus. It needs to be about reflecting Christ in their life. It needs to be about you being an example and being a light to them. You know, my wife, she had this situation a few years ago. Uh, there was a particular supervisor that she was dealing with, and he lived in another state, and she was over there for a training. And so they had to sit down, and they had to have a conversation, and it was over a meal. And so she said, you know, she paused, and she, and she tells me the story. And she said, she was like, well, you know, before we eat, when the food came out, she said, I'm going to go ahead and pray for my food and so she goes ahead she bowed her head and she prays and she said that when she picks her head up he looks at her and he's like he said can I can, can I can I pray for us and he said um he said you know he said are you a Christian and she was like yeah and he's like yeah well you know I'm a Christian and my treatment and behavior of you has not been reflective of that up until this point and I want you to recognize that this difficult situation, it wasn't because my wife's not perfect, but in this, I mean, like, she has a good work ethic. I mean, she works hard. She's very, you know, she very much interacts the way that she's supposed to appropriately. She tries to be honorable. She tries to do the right thing. But this supervisor was forgetting that he was a Christian first. 
He was a believer first. And his life was supposed to be shining. And because of that little moment, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he felt convicted. And their relationship changed. You know, he gave suggestions for books that I haven't read. But nonetheless, he read them, right? <laughs> the book that you guys got for, um, I haven't read it yet. But, it's, but I did read some portions of it. Very good book. Um, actually, Bernard read it. And he gave me the footnotes. Um, but the one that the fathers got about raising a modern-day knight, right? Really, really good. If you haven't read that book, I really encourage you to do it. But he suggested like four years ago or something like that that I read it. And so it is in my Kindle. Um, but the point is, right, when you think about this, when you think about yourself and your leadership, whatever it is, whatever capacity you lead, do you lead from that place of Christ-centeredness? Right? Listen, you can just go ahead and just go by the book and you can be a jerk and you can be insensitive and you cannot care, or you can be a person who, as a leader, puts your heart into your leadership. Puts your heart into the leading of the people around you. You know, I, you guys know that I Uber sometimes, and I actually drove uh, a couple that was from, I believe they were from, yes, they were from Kentucky. And he was actually the GM um, for one of the Harley Davidson dealerships. And he was telling me that this was his first week being away um, since a month ago, that they had just started praying before their staff meetings. And he said, and I have another guy that's going to be praying. And he's like, and I'm wondering how it's going to go. Right, And what was he trying to do? He didn't have to pray before any meeting, but he was trying to say, man, I want us to be a company, uh, you know, in this branch where we are actually honoring God. Listen, that was offensive to some people. And he told the people, he's like, there's a lot of atheists that are, you know, that, that work in this company. A lot of people that don't believe in God. And I'm like, look, I'm going to go ahead and pray because I'm the leader here. I'm not going to force you to pray. I'm just going to ask you to be respectful. Just saying, using his leadership for a godly way, right? Trying to influence, not just the prayer, because let me, let me say this. I, I'm going to say this. I know someone's thinking this in here. Praying is not the way that he was being Christ-centered, right? That's not it. Because you could pray and then be a jerk, right? Like, I'm just saying. But when he did that, when he decided to pray, you know what he did? He automatically put himself in the, in the spotlight and said, okay, you've seen me pray, now see me live. You've seen me pray, now let's see how we have conversations. And that's what he was telling me in the car, that it was something about accountability and him being able to um, be, rec you know, recognizing that he has a higher level of accountability. And he also wanted to be sure that they understood that the only reason why they were going to be successful is because of God's grace and God's mercy. And so my closing thoughts is this, is your work ethic an opportunity or an obstacle for impacting the culture? Is it an opportunity or an obstacle for impacting the culture? Our work ethic is directly impacted by our focus. I want you to notice this. The whole time that Paul has been talking to us in this portion from the beginning of chapter 3, you know what he's been doing? He's been saying, look up. The whole time he's been saying, look up. That's what he's been saying. Set your mind on things above. The whole time, if you read through it, now that I say it, if you read through it, what has he been saying? He's been telling us, look up. He's been telling wives, look up. He's been telling children, look up. He's been telling husbands, look up. He's been telling fathers, look up. He's telling slaves, look up. He's telling masters, look up. Everybody needs to look up. Our lives need to be focused, not down here, not what we're doing. We need to be looking up at the king, the one that's going to reward us, the one who is guiding us, the one who has allowed us to be in whatever 
whatever position we're in, we have to be focused on him. Why? Because when our focus is not on him, you want to know what ends up happening? We lose the heart that we're supposed to have. We lose the motivation that we need in order to make sure that our service is unto the Lord. And so what is my challenge for you today? My challenge is this. It is that you focus upward. And what do I mean by that practically? I mean in prayer and in God's word. I mean that you, listen, if you don't do this daily, if you don't have a daily time that you are coming before the Lord, this is going to be my challenge for you for the next, and I'm going to just challenge you for the next 30 days to try to make this a habit. I'm going to ask you to get up, and I used to be a guy that would say, hey, you pray whenever you can. I'm going to tell you this, whatever, because you may go to work at 11 o'clock in the afternoon, so you may get up at, you know, 9 o'clock or whatever. So I'm not going to tell you you got to get up at 5 in the morning or whatever, but here's what I'm going to say. That you start your day, not just with a cup of coffee, you can, you can bring the cup of coffee in the prayer room with you, but that you start your, because some of y'all are like, I can't even pray if I don't have some caffeine, right? Like, like, Bishop, if I ain't got caffeine, me and Jesus ain't talking. I may be present, but I don't know. My body may be there, right? Hey, Jesus is okay, right? He created this caffeine, you know? Don't take that too far out of context, but nonetheless, right? So, you, you, you may need to take your cup of coffee in the room or you, may, or, or you may need to take your Bible to the kitchen table. But what I'm saying is I'm going to challenge you for the next 30 days to make sure you're spending 30 minutes a day and that you spend some of that time praying and that you spend some of that time in the scriptures, that you spend some of that time talking to the Lord and that you begin to lay before God those situations that you're facing, that you're going to face, and you ask him, God, help me to be focused upward, not inward, so that way my life can be a, a vessel to impact our culture. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for every person in this place. And I pray, Spirit of the Lord, that you would draw our hearts nearer to you, that you would help us to focus upward, that you would help us to be a people who are honoring and glorifying to you in our work ethic. Give us repentant hearts wherever we have not submitted to you, wherever our work ethic has not reflected you, wherever we may be bitter or frustrated or hurting, Lord God, help us to honor you in all things. Lord, I thank you for this, and I pray you glorify yourself in each and every one of our lives. And I ask for anyone in this place, God, that does not know you today, may they recognize, even as we went through communion, Lord God, that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and that you died to offer us new life. And may they call upon you today. May they turn from their sin. Liberate them, Lord God, from any bondages that they may be in. And may they walk with you in the newness of life. Lord, I pray all of this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise.